Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. And hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, April 25th, 2019. Tonight, I'm going to tell you why we do what we do here and introduce you to the use of administrative law processes to reveal the bare essentials about the foreclosure against you. And in the use of those processes, you'll see how you can get information uh, and admissions for use in the civil courts. So when I say the bare essentials about the foreclosure against you, I mean that the case does not actually exist in substance. Even if it appears to be a real case in form, or a real case in procedure, or even common sense. Every con man will tell you that they use your own common sense against you. That's what leads you into defrauding yourself. So don't let yourself be defrauded. Examine what's really happening. So let's start by saying that there's a very simple explanation for who is in control in almost all cases involving almost all foreclosures today, with very few exceptions. It is an investment banker at an investment bank that is controlling your fate. And there are only two people essential to your loan transaction, you and the investor group that funded it. Everyone else is an intermediary or sham conduit who either belongs there or doesn't belong there. That's it. That's the whole story. So you got the investment bank, the investor group, and you. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. In the real world, it's the investment banker who funds the origination or acquisition of your loan. They do it using funds that are invested with them by investors in what appears to be under false pretenses, but the investment bank has the money, and so they are the ones who funded the origination or acquisition of your loan. But they sell it within 30 days of the origination or acquisition. 
Sometimes they even sell it forward, which on Wall Street means they sell it before the loan is originated or acquired. They sell it before they have it. That's actually legal. In those cases where they sell it before they have it, they never had ownership of the debt because to have ownership of the debt for purposes of foreclosure and most other purposes, you must have paid value for it under the Uniform Commercial Code, Article 9, Section 203, which usually retains the same numbering system. Remember that references to the Uniform Commercial Code are not references to a treatise. They are references to statutory law. That means that statutory law takes precedence over common law decisions. So if a judge doesn't like the aspect of this under the Uniform Commercial Code wherein the enforcer of a, uh, an instrument against the collateral must have paid value for it, that judge still is required to enforce the law as it is written. Unless the judge sees some, sees some ambiguity about it. And while there are legal presumptions which on their face give rise to benefits to the claiming, the party that's named as the claimant, all of those are rebuttable presumptions. And there has to be a foundation for the presumption. So every time these presumptions come up, the appropriate strategy and tactic is to attack it from both ends, lack of foundation, and then to attack it uh, at the end basically also for lack of foundation, uh, hearsay, best evidence, that kind of thing. Because in truth, as I'll tell you in a moment, all these documents that are floating around are all fabricated. And most, most of the original notes have in fact been destroyed because that was industry practice. So even though the investment bank sells it, they still control everything that happens from cradle to grave. This is accomplished through either secret written agreements, which is something that should be pursued in discovery, or like the mob through winks and nods so that action can't be traced back to the investment banker at the investment bank. Because if the truth came out, they would be potentially subject to civil and maybe even criminal and per and the and the investment bank perhaps administrative liability. By administrative liability I mean loss of their banking license along with restitution orders and things like that. So even though all that's true, you never see the name of an investment banker in any foreclosure or any foreclosure sale or any liquidation of foreclosed property. 
yet it is the investment bank that is getting the money from the proceeds of the liquidation of the property. Yes. If your house has been subject to foreclosure, your house has been sold to line the pockets of an investment bank who has no stake in your loan. It's the investment banker who does not have one dime invested in your loan, just the opposite. By trading on your name, your signature, and your reputation, the investment banker has made tons of money, usually far in excess of any amount loaned to you, all without your knowledge or consent. Kind of makes Facebook inquiries look like child's play. And you, the borrower, borrower never get access communication, or even acknowledgement that the investment banker is involved. If this is starting to sound like the infrastructure of an organized crime family, that is because the playbook for the investment banks ever since they started the securitization scheme in 1983 has been straight out of The Godfather, the movie I'm talking about, or the book. I like both. Every act taken is the act of the investment banker in substance, but it appears as though it is the act of others who loaned you money, who purchased a loan, who serviced the loan, and who foreclosed on the loan. You don't need to prove all that, that the investment bank is corrupt or criminal or even that it exists. As a defense and part of your claims, you can include the investment bank, and I'd like to see that happen, but you don't need to do so. I think it's time for the investment banks to be included in affirmative defenses and claims and, law and lawsuits, but reasonable people can differ on that. It's a tactical decision. All you need to show is that Instead of there being normal business practices in which every transfer of a major asset is well documented and recorded in the books and records of the parties named as having conducted transactions, instead of that, there's nothing. And you can reveal that. You can reveal it. In discovery, you can reveal it in investigation. You can reveal it by inconsistent statements. You can reveal it on cross-examination. There's lots of ways to reveal it. One of the ways is through administrative processes. There's no payment involved between all of these intermediaries because the investment bank already paid. Any real money is going to and from the investment bank, even though they have no stake in the loan. You simply need to show that there was no payment between the parties on the note, endorsement, mortgage, deed of trust, or assignment of mortgage. The law is clear. An assignment of mortgage without the debt is a nullity. If it's a nullity, then the party who received the assignment can't do anything with the mortgage, much less foreclose on it. Transfer of the mortgage without the debt means nothing, and there is no transfer of the debt without payment. Again, I cite you to Article 9, Section 203 of the Uniform Commercial Code. The numbers sometimes vary in some states. 
but all of them have adopted the Uniform Commercial Code, and all of them have adopted that particular section. And as long as you can defeat the mortgage enforcement, you can stay in the game, even though it might still be possible for the lawyers for the foreclosure mill to enforce the note, which does not require payment for the note. If they did make payment for the note, then they become a holder in due course, possibly. There are other elements, in which case most of the borrower's defenses cannot be raised. So how do you get there? That's what the show's about. Remember, you can always come back and listen to the show again or send it to a friend by going to blogtalkradio.com and looking up the Neil Garfield Show. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and this show is brought to you by Living Lies, by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, please hit the donate button on the blog, livinglies.wordpress.com or livinglies.me. They kind of converted the thing so you can get there either way, livinglies.wordpress.com or livinglies.me, M-E. Pledge whatever you think you can afford. If this show is value for you, if our work on the blog and our radio shows, which occurs without payment or other outside support, has value for you, then chip in. Please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. And I thank you in advance for contributing whatever money you choose to contribute. Remember in the movie, this goes back a ways, The Firm with Tom Cruise when he said it's not sexy but it has teeth? He was actually making an oblique reference to administrative law, which is not sexy, but it has teeth. It's a combination of administrative law combined with civil law and litigation. For uh, dramatic purposes, they didn't go into a whole explanation of all that. The character Cruz was playing was talking about mail fraud. And it worked. Mail fraud basically starts off with an administrative process in which a complaint is filed with the U.S. Postal Inspector, and it could be filed directly as an individual cause of action but the better course of action is generally to at least exhaust your administrative remedies. A well-documented complaint to the U.S. Postal Inspector could result in administrative action and other government action against services or banks. Playing your administrative cards right, you could end up with a mail fraud case to be brought against the services and pretenders but you will almost certainly end up with more and better defined responses than you otherwise would have. So, what do I mean by that? 
what I mean is that you have a potential mail fraud case with each statement that's sent to you. You certainly have a potential mail fraud case with each notice that's sent to you. And you may have a potential mail fraud case with each correspondence that's sent to you. Certainly if it's sent to the U.S. Postal Service, sent through the U.S. Postal Service, the Administrative Procedures Act kicks in. The as well as potential civil penalties, etc. If they're lying to you in the correspondence, in the notices, or they're committing fraud by the omission of a material fact, like on the subject of modification, when they tell you that the investor turned it down and the fact is they never went to any investor, the whole statement is a lie. Nobody turned it down. They were, they have standing instructions to wait a certain period of time and then tell you that the uh, investor turned it down. So you could go and it sometimes works to go after, well, who is the investor? But my experience in court with all successes that I've had and in thousands of other cases where I was either consulting or at least aware, the success came from more simple, more prosaic issues like whether the essential requirements of statute were met. And in, in fraud cases against the banks, it's about whether they knew they hadn't, that they didn't own the debt, they knew that they hadn't received delivery of the note, that kind of thing. And sometimes that they knew that their records were screwed up and they had no idea whether there was a default or if so, what the, what the default date was. I had one case where the judge asked, what's the default date? It took the guy 13 minutes to get it wrong, even by, the, by what the servicer was trying to say. And in truth, it turned out that there was no default. But in order to create a well-documented complaint, either to an administrative agency or in, in court. You need well-documented evidence to show that the lawyers, servicers, and the claim, claimant are stonewalling simple requests for identity of the claimant and an accurate description of the claim in real life. Does the claimant have a risk of loss? Does the claimant have ownership of the debt? Was transfer of the debt with or without consideration? These are things that are difficult to get at in civil litigation because of a variety of factors which we don't have time to discuss here. But you can get at them if you send a qualified written request 
a debt validation letter and follow it up with a complaint to the Consumer Financial Protection Board, a complaint to the state attorney general's office. And that's true, these agencies are losing teeth. But the administrative processes that are in place under law have not been touched. If you file the complaint, then the other side has to answer it. And it's in that response that you start coming up with admissions, inconsistent statements, and so on. And you're going to need help. A recent press release from the Consumer Financial Protection Board says that they're now going to require more information about the facts and the law in the complaint than they did before. The banks have pushed this, and under the current political situation, uh, the CFPB, which is supposed to be pro-consumer, is actually more responsive to the banks. So the banks think this will protect them, but it won't if homeowners get help when they file their complaints, which are called civil investigative demands, CIDs. Because while analyses of notes, endorsements, assignments, and allonges are all subject to legal presumptions, they're all rebuttable. But rebutting the facial validity of fabricated instruments can get expensive in time and money if you do it solely in court. Government regulators should be doing this. There's no question about it. There's a number of, of government regulators, the FTC, the SEC, and so forth, the Federal Reserve, uh, uh, FDIC even. Uh, but they're not going to do this unless you make them. And even if you have some small success in forcing them to do something, they will drag their feet. The same reason I just described in the current political environment, the agencies are more receptive to big corporations, big banks, etc., than they are the consumers. I think that's a little ridiculous because it's consumers who vote. And so in the end, I think regulators who ignore their constituency, which is the common citizen, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. But I guess that's a philosophical or political argument. Even if they don't act, these agencies have under law, in place, and in operation processes for assembling data and those processes can be invoked by anyone, including you. So yes, you need a lawyer, even if you're going to use the administrative procedures that I'm about to describe, but it is much easier to navigate administrative procedures than court procedures, even though it sounds more foreign. In 42 years of practicing trial law, I practiced admin law for many years, and believe me, it has teeth. Ask any lawyer or doctor who has a complaint to which they have to respond. Government agencies are scary. Ask anyone. 
That's why consumers should use some of the easier processes available. You get to smoke out the servicers and pretend the lenders on the cheap. In administrative procedures and proceedings, people save or lose businesses and professional licenses. They get fined, they pay restitution, and all sorts of things. And administrative decisions are required to be given deference in courts of law. And administrative records are basically judicially noticed and assumed to be accurate. It's far less expensive than litigation and could greatly reduce the cost of litigation, so why wouldn't you use the administrative strategy first? The error I made was in thinking that people knew this, but that isn't so. Very few people actually send the QWR under RESPA, the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act, or a debt validation letter, DVL, under the Federal Debt Collectors Procedures Act. Even though I offer it, I offer generic forms, everything, people don't do it because they all get the same thing, which is no real response. And they, they look at me like I have six heads when I say, that's what you want. No real response. If they had a response, they'd really give it to you because that would be the end of it. It's the no real response that allows you to file a follow-up complaint and to use the whole episode in court, showing that they didn't know how to answer it because they didn't have an answer. Among those who do file the QWR and DVL, about 10% know what they're doing. And out of that 10%, only 1% follow up with complaints to the CFPB or state AG. And out of that 1%, only half follow up with additional complaints about the responses. And then only half of those use the responses in court even though they provide the foundation for arguing inconsistent statements, fabricated documents, that is, proven winning strategies. That's what homeowners win on. So this is sort of an advertisement, but also a push to lawyers and pro se litigants who have consistently overlooked this set of tools. Do it right, and you won't be sorry. We fulfill the orders in the order they, in which they arrive, but be aware of a slight delay uh, for any orders received after April 28th until May 13th. I'll be out of the country. The usual rules apply. Get a lawyer. Don't make any decision based upon the, the content of this show or anything on the blog without consulting local counsel. Let me just tell you one part here, uh, RESPA, the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act, Section 6, which is why it's called the RESPA 6 Inquiry by those in the industry, provides borrowers with consumer protections relating to the servicing of their loan. If you send something that qualifies as a qualified written request, QWR, 
then the servicer must provide written acknowledgement within 20 business days of receipt of the request. In fact, I think that's been reduced to 10. And it used to be that not later than 60 days, which I think is now 20 or 30 days, the servicer must make any appropriate corrections to the borrower's account and must provide written clarification of any dispute. Specific statute and a right of action for the borrower if they fail to respond. And this mushrooms, escalates as you get into a civil court battle. That's all I can do for now. We'll be back with you next week and the week after and the week after that. And thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.